Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians and starting at verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we were is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Well, please do keep uh, that passage open in front of you. Let me uh, pray, and then we'll look at it together. There are some words that are particularly striking that I hope uh, we can see and enjoy together this morning. Gracious God, take my lips, I pray, and speak through them. Take each of our hearts and minds and speak to them. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen. What drives us? What drives you? Um, I just sort of put that title on it and I, I saw some of the reports in the, the, the papers the last few days about driverless cars they're experimenting with. I didn't have that in mind at all. I imagine the answer there is a robot or something, but uh, 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 it's not that. It's really what makes you get out of bed in the morning or what makes you get into work every day. Uh, some people are driven by ambition. You know, they want to get to the top. They want to make as much as uh, possible. Uh, others are driven by, I don't know, family. And the same driving force can look very different on different people, can't it? Uh, I think of one person who worked very long hours to provide the, for the expectations that he and they had for themselves as a family. But I think of someone else in an office of late workers who always left to catch the 5.45 home to have time with a young family. Some people are driven by fear. 
I was talking with a friend the other day. Uh, he is, as they tactfully put it, between jobs at the moment. Uh, but he's not short of a bob or two. He's uh, made uh, plenty. But he said to me, Hugh, when you're from an immigrant family, when you've been brought up on a council estate, when you are the only one of five children who stayed on at school after the age of 16, the fear of poverty is always with you, that you'll be sucked back into where you started from. Here, in, in these few verses that Dan's just read for us, Paul describes what drives him. The gospel heart that makes for what he calls in verse 20, Christ's ambassador. And he does it in language that suggests every disciple should be some kind of ambassador for Christ. With a gospel heart and gospel compassion. And what drives him? Well, he names it in verse 14, doesn't he? The love of Christ. Christ's love compels us. Uh, as if that love catches us up, sweeps us downstream, shapes our living. Now, of course, for any Christian, Christ's love is going to be somewhere in his or her uh, file. You know, we know of it, we acknowledge it, we rely on it. It's what makes us Christian in the first place. But you see what he writes here in verse 14. Christ's love compels us, drives us, controls us, can take us out of our comfort zone. Uh, that's what he's talking about here. The love of Christ compels us. It's a very striking word. And he doesn't really have in mind the idea of kind of twisting your arm up your back. It's much more the picture of a river. You know how rivers can go. They can meander, can't they, along a plain. You know, the water's sort of broad and sluggish. And if you were uh, on, on a raft or something, you'd just drift slowly downstream. But then the, the terrain changes and it, it's more cliffs. And there's a, a, a little gorge that the water can go through. And as it heads towards it, the waters narrow and they become more and more powerful. And if you're on that raft, you're going to be swept through it. Well, it's that here. The idea of someone caught up in the flow of the story of Christ's love and how that sweeps us along a current that will thrust us into serving Jesus and serving others. How? Well, look at verse 14. See, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced one has died for all and all have died. He's speaking of Jesus and his death on the cross, of course. The death which meant he faced the judgment we all deserved. One has died for all. The death which means we can all say our deserved death sentence has been met and paid. Therefore, all have died. Now, they're truths every disciple knows. But they can be truths that we can know without engaging with them. We can know without them having traction in our lives, without Christ's love compelling or constraining us. And yet for the apostle, Christ's love leads him straight to the cross 
and rehearsing the death of Jesus and its meaning as if that's what brings its power home to him. And for Paul, it can be very personal. He writes to the Galatians of the Son of God, Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. My fear, you see, is that for too many of us, the idea of the love of Christ just stays on file as part of our faith. That the God's mercy easily gets shrunk in our busy lives. It hasn't gripped us or swept us along as it does Paul here because we haven't allowed it to. We haven't rehearsed the meaning of the cross haven't soaked ourselves in it until it's got under our skin, till we've got beyond the mere fact and the analysis of Christ's love. And a service like a communion service is intended to give us a chance to do just that. See, have you got to the point where you can embrace the idea, not just that God puts up with you, but warm to the reality that he loves you. Have you given yourself the time and space to know his embrace? Loved me, gave himself for me. Now think on those words as you wait to eat and drink in a few minutes' time. And if that's the powerful current sweeping Paul along, here's where it's heading. Because actually in our verse, Paul does not speak of the cross in those personal terms, but in universal ones, doesn't he? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. All kinds of men and women with with no exceptions. You see... If I haven't got to the point where I can say Christ loved me, then this stream has not reached you yet. But if I haven't got beyond that he loved me, if I stop at he loved me, then then I'm not in the current. Because that takes me to the one who died for all. Once that love catches you and carries you along, it'll take you to everyone and anyone. Mike, we'll call him Mike. Uh, We'll give everyone a name, whether it's their real one or not. Mike's a a teacher. He's something of an ambassador for Christ to his school. I've watched over the last couple of years. He has brought scores of folk to come and uh, hear the gospel. But the... uh, Uh, Other months, a friend of mine visited him at work and told me what impressed him about Mike. He said, Mike's brilliant with the kids, of course, and they love him. But walking around the school with him, it was obvious he not only got on with and greeted any of the teachers we met, but he knew all the other staff, the cleaners, the caretakers. He had time for them all. This love, Christ's love, compels him. Because one died for all. The love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ transforms us. Watch how it goes on in verse 15. See, for Christ's love compels us, verse 14, because we're convinced one died for all and therefore all died. 
And, verse 15, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Yeah, Paul adds that last uh, phrase because this death was not just a fantasy rescue story and this hymn we live for is not just a memory to be guarded but a, a present reality. But the revolutionary line, of course, is earlier there in verse 15, isn't it? Should no longer live for themselves. I mean, that's what shakes us out of our default setting because... Our default setting is to live for ourselves. I've got to shift the center of gravity and not much does. You know, the, the, the culture, the culture we live in sees the need for it, not living for ourselves. At its best, it's trying to encourage it. If you've seen those uh, Halifax adverts on the telly, you know, Mark Watts, you are our kind of person. You know, and there's Mark Watts and uh, you know, he's teaching football to the kids after school. Uh, any weather or whatever's going on. Uh, he's uh, refing matches even though parents are shouting angrily at him from the touchline as to what should happen. You know, he does it in the rain. He gets hit in the face one way or another. Uh, he seems brilliant. And Encouraging it, though, is, is one thing. Living it is another. You know, banks may put out those adverts as if should no longer live for themselves, which may well be how Mark Watts lives, but bankers? Yeah, you see, they have struggled with that. Our culture sees it and disappoints in equal measure. A friend was telling me about a 140-year-old rugby club heading for closure. Not because no one wants to play. They can find a team week by week. It's that no one's willing to wash the team shirts. You know, happy to play, not to wash. Happy to do what we enjoy, unhappy to put themselves out. Should no longer live for themselves. Now, let's be honest, Christians disappoint as well as seeing it too. I mean, it's been said again and again and there's enough research uh, to, to back it up, at least as a generality across the churches, uh, that when it comes to financial giving and practical serving, uh, 80% of it is done by 20% of the people. And don't let's be too quick to imagine we're an exception to it. But if this love has actually gripped us, it will change that. It's bound to uh, uh, sweep into being a, a new generation of generous practical service should no longer live for themselves, but for him who didn't live for himself. No, no, who, according to verse 15, died for them and was raised again. Here is the change that transforms someone from being a sponge. 
I mean, that, uh, again, is one of the great dangers in church pews of sponges who absorb and enjoy what they want. And yeah, what we need is for sponges to become servants who will live for Christ and for others. And when Christ's love sweeps you into the stream of its current, it will change you. And, and, you know, sometimes it starts at very small levels. Do you remember Jesus talking about uh, giving someone a cup of water? And, you know, how important that was. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I mean, giving someone a cup of water is not setting the bar that high, is it? It seems sort of very low. It's amazing what a, a blessing and a difference little things can be. Have you ever had the experience of someone come up to you and uh, uh, tell you about something you said years ago that was so helpful to them? Or of a card that you sent them in some particular difficult time and, uh, and again meant so much to them? And you may even have had the experience of that happening and as it's happening... Your mind is totally blank about this at all. In fact, you have this sneaking feeling they're really talking to the wrong person and you don't quite know how to say anything about that. Uh, you know, it passed us by, but wow, what a significance to the one at the other end. I can remember at uni once bumping into a couple uh, fairly late one night who were completely lost and didn't know where they were going and uh, they explained where they wanted to get to and I said, it's f they said, can you tell us where to go? I said, I can do better than that. I said, I can take you there because it was pretty much where I was going anyway uh, and I picked up their case which wasn't that heavy uh, and uh, I walked 400 yards with them, um, 380 of which I would have walked anyway, uh, finally showed them the place uh, and they said, oh, thank you. Said, you've... Uh, You've restored my faith in humanity. <laughs> I thought that was quite an achievement for walking sort of <laughs> 20 yards out of my way. Uh, it's uh, uh, amazing what a difference little things can make. You know, sometimes we, we change the culture of a, of a home, a workplace, by being a blessing in, in very achievable ways. Uh, Karen's one of our church family uh, she's married couple of kids and they were having all kinds of things done to their house so for a couple of months they moved back in to live with mum and dad uh, it was over Christmas time and I saw dad and I asked sort of how it was going and whether he was surviving the invasion um, and uh, he still seemed remarkably chirpy about it and he told me uh, how the builders had given Karen a great big box of chocolates and some flowers for Christmas I said hang on just Run that past me again. The builders gave Karen the present for Christmas. I thought it was meant to be the other way around. And he said, well, yes, it is normally, but... And then he explained that though uh, Karen was living with, with, with mum and dad, um, she would go each day back uh, home to sort of check how the work was going. And uh, for the tea break, she took with her a cake she had made every day. And in fact, this went down, not surprisingly, very well with the builders. It went down so well that uh, two doors down, they were also having quite a lot of work done, and the builders there started timing their tea break to fit in, 
And I've had a slice of Karen's cake, and I can understand why it was going down so well. And, uh, well, work was a different place for them. Uh, Louise thought uh, she'd failed completely at being any kind of uh, blessing. She worked for an ogre. Uh, No, technically, I think he was the managing director, um, but uh, probably the most unreasonable boss uh, in town. Bad-tempered, temperamental, indifferent to others, changeable. She worked for the ogre for three years. She prayed for strength. She prayed uh, he would change. She prayed he would become a follower of Jesus, but he didn't. And she felt like an abject failure. And in the end, she decided she couldn't take it anymore. And she left feeling like she'd let God down. Well, a few weeks later, she got a phone call from the woman who'd replaced her. He is impossible, the woman said. I've been here three weeks and I'm already thinking of leaving. So I talked to a couple of people and they told me to give you a call. They said you'd done a fantastic job. You'd always been gracious and upbeat despite his impossible ways. How did you do it? David uh, worked in a small firm, was struggling to be an effective ambassador for Christ in any way. He'd found no chance of speaking about Jesus directly. He'd prayed, he'd asked advice, nothing seemed to happen. He knew it was the kind of workplace where if you just launched in, it would almost certainly be counterproductive. Anyway, one one Monday, one of his colleagues, James, failed to turn up to work. I mean, no one thought much about it to begin with. They just thought it had obviously been a spectacular weekend or something. But when he didn't turn up the following day, David called him, even though James wasn't a particular friend of his. Uh, Are you okay, he said. No. No, I'm feeling terrible. I haven't been able to get out of bed for three days. Is anyone looking after you? No. I live alone. My family's miles away. Uh, Have you got the right medicine? I haven't even got any food. Well, to cut a long conversation short, uh, David went round to see James that evening and got him into the shower, changed the sheets, took him to the doctor, got the medicine, bought food, went to see him every evening for a week. And during that week, James never asked David a single question about why he was doing all this for him. However, Within a week of James's return to work, David found himself inundated with opportunities to talk about the gospel. James had told everyone what David had done. And so David found himself accosted in the lifts, in the corridors, in the canteen. Uh, colleagues simply couldn't understand why he'd done it. And, and David replied as carefully and humbly as he could to people he said look it's nothing I did I've chosen to model my life on the life and teachings of Jesus I think what I did is the kind of thing he'd have done I don't do it very well but I do my best the love of Christ compels us Thanks for powerful ambassadors for him, even in simple, practical ways. Ambassadors, the kind of ambassadors you can bump into in, in homes and workplaces and schools and campuses and sports clubs, people who are going to be a blessing to others, and you ask them why, 
And sooner or later, they'll point you to our verse 14. Christ's love compels us. The Jesus I represent is the Jesus who put himself out, who put himself down, who suffered the cross for all kinds of people. He more than put up with me. He loved me and gave himself for me. This Jesus, this love, is the reason why. This love we remember this morning in this communion service. And remembering, I hope, means he is your reason why. Let's pray. Christ's love compels us. Gracious God, thank you for a love so indiscriminate. It reaches all. It reaches us. It reaches me. Thank you for a love so strong. It meets our deepest needs at such a cost to Jesus. May that love flood our hearts. And may that love overflow to others around us. For Jesus' name's sake. Amen.